All right, welcome back to the Biblos Network. We're so glad you have taken the time to join in with us again. I pray that this this session finds you blessed, highly favored, enjoying the great things of God. We're 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 one week out, maybe it's a week and a half now, from the the Peak Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And God moved in a mighty and a dramatic way. Great, great conference. Biblos was there. We were there among the vendors. And I was able to meet many, many of you. Many bibliophiles. Many of the theophili, the lovers of God, came. And they bought mugs, travel mugs, coffee mugs, sweatshirts. And I was able to meet a lot of people down there and sign them sign the cups, sign the, the different merchandise items and uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of people, men, women, pastors, pastors, wives, saints. It was so good to meet so many of you. Thank you for helping us. The purchase of the merchandise allows us to continue to uh, purchase equipment, upgrade studio, the studio pay for help to to do the editing and all of the the work that's done here at the Biblos Network. So thank you for your help. Thank you for believing in us. There are many people that are hungry, hungry for the Word of God. And the goal of Biblos is to help people fall in love with the Word. It is to celebrate the Word. Hence the name, the books. Fall in love with the books. Before I launch into what I'm going to say today I um I'm thankful I'm thankful for a family and um, a mom and a dad grandparents my brother my sister that celebrated the word of God and celebrated the word itself so we were raised reading I had a book in my hands when I was five years old I was beginning to read in earnest and to put the words together and to love it. We were given Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories. We were given books about great heroes in American history. So Thomas Edison and Henry Ford, um, Helen Keller, Johnny Appleseed, books about uh, different cultures. We read about Cochise, Tecumseh, um, Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce. And, and we would read and read. And, and it was fascinating. It was a world that you could enter into. And it was so riveting. And from an early, early age, we fell in love with the written word. And I... I feel so bad for people today that are robbed of that by cheap digital substitutes, by a generation that grew up on television. We did not grow up on television. We do not watch television or endorse television. It is the greatest brainwashing tool the world has ever known. I don't like for someone to do my thinking for me. I like to do my own thinking and to read the greats to read the great works of literature and above all of that 
the word of the Lord, the word of God, the greatest book, the written word that guides and directs us. His word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Frequently, you know, uh, my, my undergrad degree is in education and therapy. And so I, I try my best to champion cognition and a celebration of, of thought and reading. I frequently talk to young adults and I'm stunned. I am stunned by the lack of cognitive ability to just put, or maybe I should say piece together the meanings from words to the sentences that they're reading and, and the meaning that accompanies that. So frequently, I'll, and I used to teach school and I've taught in a college setting many times as I'm reading with young adults, they'll read a sentence and they'll say to me, okay, what's that mean? And I, I think, oh my goodness, I mean, read it again. Take time, take your time, piece together what that means. And they will read it. They can read the words, but to extract the meaning from what that means is oftentimes not there. So I, I, I hope that we can be a help to people. If you have children, put a book in their hands. Play the Bible on CD or MP3 or whatever it is that you have. I think I'm dating myself with CDs, but <laughs> um, there's nothing more precious than that. Frequently what I hear is people will read a book and then they will watch a movie. Now, we don't endorse watching movies, but people have told me they do that and they will watch a movie and they will almost invariably, they will say the movie was nowhere near as good as the book. The book was so much better. And that's because there is no human that can match the richness and the lushness, the verdance of the of the mind of a man and a woman. The imagination is a rich, rich tapestry. And from that, you can pull great meaning, great, great subtlety and nuance, and then your mind is able to put together. It's such a powerful thing, the mind of a person. Uh, and you know, by the way, the soul in the scripture is the psyche. The Greek word for soul is psyche. So your mind, your soul, is a powerful, powerful thing, and it is the human spirituality at work. A human spirit is one thing. A human soul is one thing. Um, now we are spiritually dead before we come to Christ. So spiritually we are dead, but we are alive in this life force, and that is called the soul or the psyche. The spirit is the pneuma, and the Word of God divides between soul and spirit, between pneuma and psyche. So there are people without the Holy Ghost that can do great things in terms of human spirituality with their soul. Uh, blues singers have soul. Jazz musicians have soul. Uh, the great composers, Mozart, Beethoven, Rachmaninoff, they, they put all of their human ingenuity and creativity and some of it's breath, breathtaking in, in its scope. The greatest of art, the greatest music, the greatest literature, the greatest poetry pales in comparison to the matchless depth 
of the Spirit of God. A human soul is no, no comparison to the Spirit of God. And when God fills you with the Holy Ghost, it opens up an entirely new panorama, an entirely new world. That world is a world of angels and devils and supernatural phenomena. And most of all, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and it is rich beyond imagination. And our, our goal here, our mission at Biblos is to help open the door, help open the portal, help somebody to enter into the straight gate, strive to enter at the straight gate. And you can learn and celebrate and love, fall in love with the deep and the great things of God. So that's a long way of saying we want you to love your Bible and we want you to love the things of God. I was reading a portion of scripture that really caught my attention here recently. Um, it's found in the book of Song of Solomon. One of my favorite portions of scripture is, is the book of the Song of, Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon. And I was reading in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. This is a beautiful, beautiful portion of scripture. It says this, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, rather. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. That's what the, the beloved says. That's what the man says. And then the female says, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, my bowels or my innermost being. It was moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved. My hands dropped with myrrh, my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. What a riveting portion of scripture. And to read that and to pull from that meaning is a challenge for some people. You, you do need to understand Hebrew poetry and the poetic insight of Hebrews, the Hebrew thought process that God was using here. But, but theologians will tell you, scriptorians will tell you that the Song of Solomon is a beautiful metaphor of Jesus Christ and his bride. And, and God speaks to his beloved here. Jesus is speaking to his beloved. And this phrase just captured me. I sleep, but my heart waketh. I want to talk about that for a minute because there's so many big themes here. The sleep, the night, the beloved, the male, the female, the handle that's dropped, that's dripping with the myrrh and the incense of her, of her influence. She touches the handle of the door. There is a myrrh, a perfumed fragrance. Um, his hair is wet. His locks are wet with the drops of the night, the dew of the night. This is prof 
profound imagery and metaphoric beauty that speaks to us so richly today. Maybe I can pull some of it out for you. I hope I can. I hope I can at least turn you on to it to see what you can extract from it and through prayer and through careful study, see what you come up with. I'm amazed by some of the insights that some of the great Biblos listeners share with me. You share it in the comments and, and you send me links. Thank you for that. I, I love that. I love to hear people searching out the things of God. But sleep and the night, these are metaphors for sin, for, for man's lack of awareness, his ignorance, his, his unconsciousness. And the darkness is the night. It's, it's, it's the world. It's, it's a world of sin. The Bible's filled with imagery of, of sleep. Sleep is, is like unto death. There's places in the scripture where Jesus says she's not dead, but she sleepeth. He told his disciples that one time, and he said she is asleep. He said, they said, well, we can go wake her. And then it says Jesus told them plainly, the damsel is dead. The Bible describes death as sleep. Um, those of us that are alive will not prevent those that are asleep, but those that are in the grave will come forth at the last trump at the voice of God, and they will awake from their slumber because death is but sleep to the great king of the cosmos, to the mighty God. Um, so death is analogous to sleep, and, and sin is analogous to sleep. And darkness, you know, we're, we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that slumber, slumber in the night. Um, and it's, it's a state of unconsciousness. It's a state of, of unawareness. Can you remember when you did not have awareness to righteousness? You were unaware. You were unconscious to the great Acts 238 message. Maybe you heard about the oneness of God and the battle between one God advocates and Trinitarian advocates and Muslims and, and Jews. And, and you wondered, what's the big deal? And, and it just, oh, it's just a bunch of religious people arguing. That's because you were asleep to the import, to the cosmic battle that is raging. Well, there's going to be a day when that one true living God appears and every eye will behold him. And there are people that are earnestly awaiting his return. And we contend. We contend for this truth. The Bible says we earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It was not delivered later at Nicaea. It was not delivered later at Constantinople. Uh, but it was delivered once to the saints through Jesus Christ and the apostles. And we earnestly contend for that. But, but you're asleep to that before you come to the things of God. One of the missions that we have here at Biblos is wake wake to the things of God. I was reading uh, in the book of Ephesians, a beautiful portion of scripture where Paul says this, uh, chapter five, for you were sometimes darkness. You were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So when they say works of darkness, there are works of darkness and they are unfruitful. There are people who lament the years wasted in sin, wasted in addiction, wasted in promiscuity, 
wasted in false doctrine, wasted in hypocrisy and double-mindedness. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light for whatsoever doth make manifest his light. And here's, here it is, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. So I sleep, but my heart waketh. I'm asleep. I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant to the things of God. I'm, I'm ignorant to the great truths of his word, but he's talking. I hear him knocking. Man, I, I feel this when I'm preaching. There are sometimes people walk in. They think they're coming to just a Sunday morning service. Just a, just somebody invited them. Somebody asked them to come that maybe they saw them at a subway or they're a coworker, an employee, an employer. Maybe it's a relative. Hey, come to church. In Durham with me, come to Sunday morning service. They come, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to see what this church thing's about, make them happy and, you know, spend a nice time. It's probably a good idea to pay my respects to God, the man upstairs, they might say. <laughs> and they're asleep. They're asleep to the fact that you must be born of water and of the spirit. They are slumbering, not aware. They're slumbering at the wheel of life driving down a highway on their way to a wreck. If they die in sin, they die. And they'll, they'll enter into what the Bible calls the second death. But, but when they come, they hear preaching, they hear singing, they, they hear worship, then there's a knocking at their door and they sleep, but their heart begins to waken. That preaching will waken them. That singing will waken them. What is this stirring? What is this feeling? I'm feeling, I am hearing the voice of my beloved. Open to me. Woo! <laughs> Open to me. Man, I, I can remember hearing preaching that just raised the hair on the back of my neck. I would hear great preachers, Arliss Glass, uh, Brother George Glass. I would hear J.T. Pugh, I would hear uh, James Kilgore, my grandfather, N.A. Urshan, great preachers of the gospel, and, and I would hear them preach, and, and what I was hearing, these men and their deliveries and their an unction and anointing, they, that was the voice of the beloved knocking at the door, and I was asleep to so many things, but my heart began to wake, and he was saying to me, open to me, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. What a, what a beautiful thing when somebody hears the voice of God. See, I think that's what Lazarus heard. He was asleep and he heard a voice. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And he, he was asleep, but his heart began to wake. He rose up from the dead, came out in his grave clothes. And that's what happens to us when we come to God. We, 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 come, we rise from the dead. We rise from the deadness of sin, the deadness of our trespasses and our iniquities. We come out of our ignorance, out of our dysfunction, out of our alcoholism and our nicotine addiction, out of our Hollywood addiction. Uh, and then we wake up to this beautiful world, this manifold grace of God. Manifold grace of God is 
you'll just be sailing along thinking you've just about figured out the things of God and then a whole new horizon will open up, a whole new panorama, a whole new vista will open up and it will unfold. And when you get to the edge of that, it will unfold. And you'll keep going, unfolding, unfolding, because it's many folded. It is the manifold grace of God, and it will do that into eternity. You will never exhaust the profundity and the depths. The Bible says the unsearchable depths and riches of the wisdom and the grace of God. So you emerge from a slumber into the reality of the cosmic awareness, into the world of angels and devils, the world of God. And he speaks to you through his word. He speaks to me through his word. So we wake up, we sleep, but our heart wakes. Um, the Bible describes this. Um, it's, a, it's a very famous portion of scripture where God speaks to Abram. This is before he's Abraham. And it says that God came to, to Abram. He told him to offer a sacrifice, told him to take the birds and, and the carcasses of animals and to sacrifice them and to divide them in two. So he did. He cut these, these animal carcasses in two and he arranged them and laid them out. I can't remember if it was on an altar, if it was in a field, but he, he laid them out and he obeyed God. He, he offered sacrifice to the Lord. And that night, the Bible says, a horror of great darkness came upon Abram. And the Lord told him, your children will be, will be slaves in a foreign land. They will serve a hard taskmaster. I will be with them. I will bring them into this land that I am giving you. But before that happens, for many hundreds of years, they will be slaves. There was this horror. And I don't know what Abram saw. Was it the Egyptian cruelty? Was it the children being thrown into the Nile? What, what, kind, what was this horror of great darkness? It literally it was a nightmare. And that's what sin is. It's a nightmare. Can you imagine where you were when you first came to God and the nightmare he delivered you from? God is in the business of delivering people from nightmares. The nightmare of divorce. The nightmare of a house that's out of order because a husband is out of order and the wife is out of order. If they're even married at all, maybe they've given up on marriage. Maybe it's a single parent household. And children are left to fend for themselves because mom is having a hard time holding it together. God bless her heart. She does the best she can, but she's working three jobs. And the kids are left at home to be corrupted and defiled by, by television and by the idleness of being around, left vulnerable to every predator in the neighborhood. Sometimes, and I found this to be true, particularly in some of the cities I pastored in, vulnerable to family members. What a heartache, what a tragedy, what a nightmare. This horror of great darkness. Abraham, God was saying, Abraham, I'm going to wake you up. Abraham, I'm going to bring you out of darkness into, into my marvelous light. I'm going to bring you into the light of the fullness of revelation. When you see the bride of God in Revelation 12, the beloved in her final cosmic glory. She's clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet. God will put the darkness under your feet. The moon was to rule the night, to rule the darkness, the moon and the stars, and the sun was to rule the day. Well, she's clothed in the sun. That's the fullness of revelation. That's the fullness of light. That is full 
vision and awareness. The moon is under her feet. Thank God for the day you got the darkness underneath your feet. Abraham, I'm going to pull you from this. And the Bible says that as he slept, that there was a lamp that went between the pieces. What a, what an image. This light, he wakes up, or he, he's maybe in a semi-twilight state, a groggy state. I don't know what it was. But there was this lamp moving between the, the pieces of the carcass. Literally, God was saying, I will go between death for you. The light, the lamp, will enter into death for you. Jesus comes into our darkness. Jesus comes into our nightmare. Jesus comes into our world. And he comes to conquer, conquer the night. To conquer sin, to conquer death, hell. He comes into the nighttime of our political Machiavellian strategery. He comes into the middle of the night time of Judaism and Romanism as Rome is dominating the world. He comes down and he, he deals with the demoniacs. He, he deals with the political intrigue of Herod and Pilate and the political manipulations of the Sanhedrin. Oh, the machinations and the tangled web that humans get themselves into. The Mary Magdalene's, the brawling Peter, the treacherous Judas. He comes down into our nighttime. What, what an image. What an image. This is the lamp moving between the pieces of the carcass. I will go through death for you. I will visit you. I will literally enter into your broken, darkened world. And I will bring light. So the Bible says of Jesus that, that the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. And that's what Jesus came to do for us. It says of him in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, and immediately the spirit driveth him, that's Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. Jesus was driven into the wilderness into the night. When you come from the night, you don't want to go back. Those of you that have repented of your sins, you've been baptized in the mighty name of Jesus and filled with the great gift of the Holy Ghost. And you spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance and you now live a wholly separate life. You've been in the night. You know what it is to, to deal with abusive parents. You know what it is to deal with having to be afraid of your father coming home or maybe no father at all that you maybe you never knew your father. You know what it is to deal with drug addiction and to feel the gnawing pain of addiction. What a day when God delivers you from the night. I knew a man, he was addicted to cigarettes, terribly addicted to cigarettes. He couldn't shake them. He tried, he tried, he tried. He would lament it. He would cry. He would come to the altar and cry, and he would try to put him down, and then a day or two later, he'd pick him back up. They just had such a hold on him. And, and I remember him coming to me one time, and he said, Pastor Urshan, he said, I want to put him down so bad, but sometimes it's like a wild beast rattling a cage inside of me, and I can't put him down. God eventually did deliver him of those cigarettes. But that's what it means 
when you're in the night. The, the book of Judges has a story of a, of a concubine. There was a, uh, an Israelite who was traveling. He had his concubine with him. Those of you that know your Bible, you know the story. It's a, it's a terrible story, an atrocious story. They come to a house. The men of the city came and surrounded the house, said, send out uh, this man that we may abuse him. They, they sent the concubine outside and they abused her all night long. That is what sin does. They left her to die. She crawled back with her hand on the threshold. She died there. A terrible tragedy of the depravity and the barbarism and the degeneracy of the, of the Old Testament world. And the book of Judges, when every man did that which was right in his own eyes, God came to deliver us from the night. It says in Song of Solomon 5, my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. This is a man that has spent all night searching, fighting, pursuing, looking, overcoming. And he finally makes it to his beloved. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. He went into the night. He overcame the night. He overcame sin. He overcame barbarism, depravity. The Bible says that he, he conquered principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, nailing them to his cross. He went into the night for you and for I, you and for me. He went into the night. He, he went into the night of our existence. And I heard one great preacher say it like this one time. He lived a life I could not live, and he died a death I could not die. I'm glad Jesus went into the arena of the wild beasts, and he was with them 40 days and 40 nights, and the angels came and ministered to him. I'm glad he went to Calvary for me because he went into the night. I'm glad he was crucified and he took my place because he went into the night. He conquered death and hell because he went into the night and his, 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 his hair, his locks are wet with the drops of the dew, the drops of the night. He spent all night looking for you and for me and he found us finally and here he is sodden with the residue of the night. And your Redeemer comes and knocks on your door with this final redemptive power. And he says, open to me. I've conquered the night. I've conquered sin. And I am come to set you free. <laughs> what a beautiful picture. Breathtaking. And here is his beloved. And she's already laid down for the night. She's lethargic. She doesn't realize the power of the moment. She is still asleep, though her heart is waking. The Bible has a lot to say about the night. It says that Jesus had a man come to him. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night under the cover and the cloak of darkness. He was ashamed to be seen with him in public, but he did want to see him. So he comes at night. Um, Proverbs 7 talks about the young man in the night and it says of him say unto wisdom thou art my sister call understanding thy kinswoman that they may keep thee from the strange woman 
from the stranger with flatter the stranger which flattereth with her words for at the window of my house I looked through my casement and I beheld among the simple ones I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner he went the way to her house in the twilight in the evening in the black and dark of night and behold there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot that's something you don't hear preached anymore the attire of a harlot (laughs) I'm afraid that in our current generation there are many people who wear the attire of a harlot men and women the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart she is loud She's stubborn, her feet not, abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. The strange woman, she is in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. This is true of, of regular prostitution and ignorant young men. But it's also true on a cosmic level there are people that are seduced by the spirit of this world and they go into the dark, into the night. And there is a great harlot in Revelation and she is filled with mystery. She's called Babylon, the mother of harlots. She's drunk with the blood of the saints and she destroys every good thing. And there are people who allow that false power to have reign and dominion in their lives. So there's actual harlots and then there is there are spiritually seducing spirits that seduce the hearts and minds of the naive and it happens in the night. False doctrine is night. Ignorance is night. Bitterness, envy, jealousy, hatred, addiction. This is all nighttime. It's the night. It's the time when there is no light. There is no illumination. The Bible says whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Thank God for the day he brought us out of that. He casts out of Mary Magdalene seven devils. He pulls her out of the night. So these beautiful illustrations, here is an image of the beloved coming to his his beloved. His head is filled with dew, his locks with the drops of the night. And she says back to him, I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? When God finds us, does he find us prepared? Or does he find us reclining, relaxed, filled with comfort, filled with ease? No time for Bible reading, no time for prayer, no time for church. Lethargic. Is that how he finds us? I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? You know, the feet are a metaphor for the gospel preparation of the gospel of peace it's the the motility it's the moving it's the mobility of the kingdom and a lethargic church is a church that doesn't go that doesn't do that doesn't reach that doesn't go into the highways and the byways it's no longer busy about the kingdom business but she's reclining and even though the beloved knocks at the door and says, open to me, she says, how can I open? I'm relaxed. It's, it's nighttime. I'm resting. I don't have time for this right now. Be careful. Be careful that you're not falling asleep. Be careful that you're not going into the night. One, one, one poet said it like this. Um, Do not go gently into the night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. 
well, that's a, a, a very poetic way of saying redeem the time because the days are evil and the night is coming in which no man can work. Fight for the life that you have. Fight for the things of God while you have this time committed to you. What a day to be serving God. What a day to be teaching Bible studies. What a day to be sharing the gospel with as many people as you can. I pray that this, this episode finds as many people as, as, as is possible and helps them to awaken to the great truths of the word of God. My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, my bowels remove for him. When God reaches for you, you will feel it down deep in the depths of your soul. When it says my bowels remove for him, you know, here we have a tendency to use uh, the modern English understanding of bowels, but it doesn't mean what we the way we use it today, it means innermost being. It means the deep places of our heart. God, you'll, you'll feel God's presence when he reaches for you. She says, I rose up to open to my beloved. My hands dropped with myrrh, my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. When you get up and when you begin to reach and you begin to do, there is a a precious perfume, there's a precious ointment, there is a residue, there's an influence. I can remember entering into a room that my grandma Urshan used to be in. She would go in and she had this very unique perfume. When she hugged you and drew you close, you could smell the fragrance and it was comforting. It was a, it was a smell that I associated with my my childhood and even my infancy and as a teen and as a young adult when she would hug me I, she just had this fragrance and you could smell her when she walked in this beautiful perfume this residue and when she would leave a room you could tell she had been in the room that is how I want to be with the things of God I want I want people to be able to tell I have been there I want there to be a, a residue left on the handles of the lock. I heard a dear friend preach a message about that at East Coast Conference last year. Everywhere we go, there should be a residue of blessing. There should be a fragrance of goodness. We shouldn't be the savor of death unto death. We should be the savor of life unto life. And so this is the beloved as she begins to search for him. And she opens to him but he had withdrawn himself. This is a picture of, of Israel as she tries to reach out, realizing her time has passed. It's too late, too little, too late. He withdraws himself. This is judgment. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him. I could not find him. I called. He gave me no answer. So <clears throat> this is a beautiful picture of of God withdrawing from people who do not recognize their time, the time that he reached for them. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. So Israel did this. At times the church has had this happen to them where they missed their appointed time. God withdraws himself. You miss that moment. I don't want to miss that moment. I want to hear the knock. I might be asleep, but my heart is waking. I'm awakening to truth. I'm awakening to the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. 
I'm awakening to the prophetic import of the hour, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Thank God for the day he woke us up. Thank God for the continual awakening. I pray that these episodes and episodes about doctrine and preaching and and a love for the things of God. I pray that every day when you read the Bible that you are awakening to the wonder of his word and that you're hearing his voice, his knocking, his beckoning. I can't wait to get to the word of God first thing in the morning. I can't wait to open to him and say, come in. It's what he said in Revelation. If any man hear my voice and open the door to me, I will come in. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He will sup with us. We can sup with him. And we can fall in love with him more and more deeply every day. I sleep, but my heart waketh. I live for that moment. I can't think of any greater fulfillment than to be sitting across the table from somebody in Bible study, talking to them about the things of God and unaware of the power of baptism in Jesus name unaware of the need for the Holy Ghost. They just cruise through life, unaware of the need to get to the altar, get those hands lifted because life is so fleeting. And then as as you speak to them, the Bible says it's the day star arising in your hearts until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Light begins to dawn. It dawns on them they come to the realization. That's where the phrase come from, comes from. It dawned on her. It dawned on him. In Bible study, I can see the light rising. You're telling me I need to repent. You're telling me I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Not the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Not the Catholic interpolation. But in the name of Jesus, when they run across Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's None other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And it dawns on them. The light comes on. They come out of the darkness. You know, there's a reason they call it the dark ages. In the dark ages, the papacy, the Catholic church took away the light, took away the scripture, took away, shrouded it in mysticism and superstition and ignorance and barbarism. And the armies of the popes and the holy wars kept men in gross darkness. And they called it the Dark Ages. When Martin Luther and the Reformationists came, they rebelled against that. And men began to walk in light when Gutenberg, when Johannes Gutenberg and his printing press began to print the pages of the Bible and the common man got the word of God. They got the lamp. They got the lamp that shines in the dark place. And they were able to see for the first time. The Renaissance happened. The Reformation happened. Science exploded. Knowledge entered the world and they came out of the dark ages into the light. I sleep, but my heart waketh. If you'll take the time to read that Bible, if you'll take that time to absorb it and to apply it, You'll begin to awake. You'll begin to awake. You'll begin to awake to the truths of God, the truths of the book of Acts. 
how the Bible's put together. You will awake to prophecy. You'll, you'll awaken to what it means to be a good man, to be a good woman. You'll awaken to the right kind of a church to go to. Find an apostolic church, a Jesus name, Holy Ghost church. And awaken into the fullness of the revelation of who Jesus is. I hope that helps you today. I hope that blesses you. I'll be praying for you. I pray that you can help somebody find their way, encourage them, bless them. It is what we're called to do. We are children of the light. Let us not walk in the night. Let us walk in the light of his word and of his glory. So until next time, God bless you. God keep you. God cause his face to shine upon you. 